0: Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is
2: a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on
3: iOS and Android. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media.
4: I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about journalism, pop culture, true crime. And this week, a mini update on our new favorite podcast, Missing Richard Simmons, and a look at a multi-part true crime documentary series that's getting a lot of people talking. It's called Time, the Khalif Browder story. So, joining me right now is the host of These Are Their Stories, the Law and Order podcast, my true crime co author, real life husband, and favorite person who doesn't understand how daylight savings time works, <laughs> Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin.
3: Okay, so I know it's like Sunday, but so we're it's actually not the good losing one. an hour. Yes. Oh, okay.
4: You never know spring which one is the good one and which one is the bad one. And this is the spring bad forward. one. Yeah,
3: Spring Forward yeah. sounds great. But, but it gets lighter, right? Isn't that the?
4: No, it gets.
3: <laughs> I mean, for a little.
4: See, you don't know how it works. See, we spring forward, which means like the hour is going to come earlier, right?
3: Right. So, so it's going
4: to be seven p.m. earlier. Do I just than have to
3: reset the timer for all the lights in the house so the dogs don't freak out? Yes. Okay. And you're also all gonna I be to complaining
4: know. about when I wake you up. So that's how it works. <laughs> it's officially case closed, right? Yep, case closed. Also joining us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and, and p-
3: someone with a watch. And
4: potential future freight train hobo, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Hello. Well, my plans
1: may have been placed on hold, Rebecca, because I did get busted by the train people today.
4: Well, you got to tell us about that <laughs> after we greet Toby, okay? Yes. All right. And rounding out the panel is the very talented noir novelist and our favorite harsher of mellows, Toby Ball. Good evening, Toby.
2: Habari <laughs> Yako, Rebecca.
4: <laughs> oh. All right.
2: Oh, wow. All right.
3: What doing.
4: language?
2: And you know what you say so in like, reply?
4: What? You say Missouri. Yo. What? Missouri. Yo,
2: Missouri. Oh, <laughs> M-Z-U-R-I. All right. What is that? It's uh, Kiswahili. I say, how are you?
4: Missouri. And
2: you respond, good. Nice. Which Huge. is Missouri. How do you say miserable? Miserable. It's <laughs> Kiswahili.
4: All right. So, Laura, uh, what's the deal with you getting into this tangle with the train police? Where we live, we live next to conservation land, but there's like
1: a 300 foot or so stretch of train track that you have to walk along the side of to get to the actual conservation land and you know that's illegal I know that but (laughs) I do have the train schedule so I try to time it so that I don't go out there when the trains are there but today as I was walking poor buddy the dog along all of a sudden hidden behind this shack out there was one of the train people and he comes out and like stands in the middle and like puts his hand up and he's like excuse me you look like you do this a lot but you know you're not supposed to right and I'm like ah (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, and I'm like, listen, I know the train just went by. I looked at the lights, you know, and I was like, my dog's paws hurt. He can't walk through the alternate trail right now. So that kind of won him over. And, and then he just started like dropping a lot of F-bombs and telling me about, you know, his tough life as an employee of the train company. But, oh my you know, God. It could, so it was it was a little touch and go there for a few minutes. How um, bad of like,
3: a law enforcement Job could that be? (laughs) I mean, real like you know, you've got like SWAT team, FBI, and then maybe you got like your b cop, (laughs) right? And then like below that, well, you know, like postal inspector.
4: No, postal inspectors are badass. Uh, Yeah, I know. They just use bombs and stuff. Yeah, well, they are. They are.
3: Yeah, they also spend a lot of time like watching other postal workers. (laughs) And then you've got like the train police. Like I once time one time I was doing a story about a train derailment and I was doing my TV stand up from the tracks and the train cop came over and told me I had to leave and yep. like, like I've never wanted to be mouthy with a cop, but I was like, "What are you going to do? Book me? Where are you going to take me to the train station?
1: <laughs> oh, <stop laughs> train jail? The yeah. train jail, Kevin? Yeah. Oh, he, was, like, so driving, he was like driving. He was driving his
3: own car.
1: <laughs> well, I have to say, even the fish cops are now above the train cops
4: because they're now on TV. Did they,
1: anybody yes, watch
4: that? Yes, yes, the North, Great Northern Woods, New Hampshire edition. The um, the series that's now on. Uh, what is it? Animal, Animal Planet. Planet. Yes. What a depressing first episode. They had somebody drowned. I'm like, well, that's up. Yes, but this week, our New Hampshire Fish and Game cops had a very exciting case where they got to um, (laughs) confiscate a monkey from a home in Laconia, New Hampshire, (laughs) and it made a lot of news.
3: Well, I think we should save this for a future podcast. We should. We should.
4: Crime of the Future podcast. podcast. Well, I I do want to um, address uh, some of the listener feedback we've been getting. And first off, um, you may have noticed, as Laura was just having her little rant about the train cop, that you heard a bleep. Because she uttered an expletive. We've been getting a lot of feedback lately about our apparently escalating use of swear words. <laughs> and I'm sorry. What? Yes. No, no, no it's, it's, it's actually me. No, it's actually. Rebecca's been swearing. It's too. actually not directed at you, it's all directed at me. It, it really is. <laughs> I think people think it's funny when you swear because it's rare, but they think that now I'm just doing it gratuitously. So I'm going to do my best. They do not
3: live in this house. They don't.
4: <laughs> I swear a lot in my real life, but I understand that not all of our listeners love it. So for this special episode only, I'm still going to fucking swear, but I'm going to beep it out. That is <laughs>
3: f***ing awesome.
4: <laughs> so that's just for you guys. I'm sorry if it offends you, but it is the way I talk and I feel like if I'm, we're going to be authentic, I don't talk that way all the time, but when I'm really feeling it, I do. So we everybody swears? You can swear just I, as you I normally swear. would. Just know, it ex- can expect when you listen to the final cut that I'm going to bleep them out. This is going to be a clean oh. episode of Crime Raiders.
1: Well, cool. if I swear like I normally would, it's going to be like 10 times more than I normally swear on this show.
4: All right.
3: That's great. We'll, we'll get our first clean rating on That's iTunes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that that is awesome. One.
1: I have to tell you, we were at dinner tonight, and um, my son says to me, Hey, Mom, since your podcast has an explicit rating, can I swear when I ask you this question?
3: (laughs) (laughs) This episode, he can.
1: And he says, screw's a swear, right? And I'm like...
4: Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) But no, it is not really a swear. All right, so the next thing I want to do is, um, speaking of listener feedback, is play a couple of voice memos that we receive from listeners. We've gotten a few emails and voice memos about the break in the case in the Up and Vanished podcast. Of course, that's the disappearance and now murder of Tara Grinstead, that beauty queen from Georgia. And Payne Lindsay is the host of that podcast. There's a lot out there about... Sort of the way he's handling the now arrest is a lot out there about you know whether or not this podcast had a role in solving the case. And we've gotten a couple of voice memos about it, so I'm just going to go ahead and play the first one right now.
5: Hey guys, this is Jay, longtime listener, almost from the beginning. Originally from the deep south, but now residing in Massachusetts. I had a question for you concerning up and vanished. You know, now that there has been an arrest my initial thought was this is awesome, uh, especially for the family. Uh, It's kind of cool to have been listening to a podcast that actually resulted in something. But I wondered almost immediately, is this going to lead to a rash of really bad podcasts, maybe some unethical uh, podcasts who, you know, as you have more amateur investigators anyway, delve into this because of the kind of notoriety and fame that Payne Lindsay is, is getting from having helped maybe uh, solve this case. Uh, I think it's great for him. I just wonder if this is going to lead, you know, and be a little bit more problematic uh, going forward, if this actually could lead to some potentially negative consequences.
4: So, Toby, do you worry about now a glut of unethical true crime podcasts where amateurs are going to go out and start bothering people about <laughs> long unsolved crimes? I,
2: it seems like making a podcast is a lot of work. And so I, I can't imagine there could be a ton of people. But, you know, I think I've said before that, you know, I'm fairly uncomfortable with, with that whole amateur sleuth type of thing. So, yeah, I basically agree with him. I don't think it's going to be like a huge number, but I do think it sets a bad precedent, although it's not really his fault.
4: We have another take on the pain Lindsay potentially having played a part or not in the solving of the Tara Grinstead case. And um, this is a voice memo from an old friend of the podcast. His name is Alex. And a little warning in advance, he did apologize for the quality of his audio. I did the best that I could to uh, filter out some of the background noise, but I think he recorded it like in his
3: car. Why are you always driving and (laughs) and texting us, Alex? By the way,
4: Alex is like a professional audio person in his real-day job. That's what cracks him about (laughs) it. But he does have a valid query here, so I'm just going to go ahead and play that.
0: Hey, guys, it's Alex from Toronto. And you know that feeling when you've been trying to open a jar, you tried really hard, he tried for a while, and then someone comes by and clearly from the proceeds of your work opens it with some ease in the first try. That has to be how the GBI is feeling right about now after this whole thing with Payne Lindsay. Because no disrespect to Payne Lindsay, because I, I, I'm sure he had a substantial part of what happened in this arrest. But there's a real part of 13 or so years of police work. You know, how many times did they quote the largest file in GBI history? I mean, if there's anything that, that we know here is that these guys work their ass off. And I'm so happy to see a positive resolution on the case as, in as much as anything positive can be said about, about something like this. But uh, And it is remarkable and his contribution isn't unimportant. But also, there's a real element of, come on, are you kidding me? Like, is this guy maybe the luckiest guy in podcasting history he basically threw a dart at a dartboard picked a case that just happened to break while he was rolling his show i mean i can't imagine him doing season two honestly i mean you guys have to appreciate in the podcast world and in this true crime world and the broadcasting production world like the confluence of timing this show can only disappoint
4: so one of the things that struck me about what Alex had to say was saying that like pain could never do a season two because it would disappoint is that it's not just podcasting. It's also journalism. Right, Kevin? Like sometimes you have a really great story that you're working on that like really works out and I, then you can't actually do that story again. Right?
3: No, because the story's over. <laughs> right? You're trying to like, let's get onto that. I mean, a great example is Serial mm-hmm. where you have this fantastic story about a non-Syed and then you go to something that has a lot of promise like Bo Bergdahl it's different but it's not the same it's certainly not what people are expecting or they want you know to get the same flavor from you know season one to season two I I mean if he were to do another podcast I probably wouldn't if I were him I probably wouldn't go after another cold case Mm. and probably do up and vanish I'd probably do some other kind of Story. I don't know. I mean, we don't know. I, but I mean, uh, right? I mean, he's Alex is not wrong. Did Payne not like start the first episode saying that he was googling cases because he just wanted to do this? (laughs) He did. So, but I
2: think that's how a lot of the like really good documentaries, like The Staircase, it's not like they knew all the turns that was going to make, right? Like they started off with the case, and then it ends up being a great documentary because of what happens after they start. The same thing with Hoop Dreams, and I, I assume. I mean, have you seen Hoop Dreams?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A long, long, long time ago, yeah.
2: It's about two basketball players, and they they start following them when they're young, and they're Their lives like take these wildly divergent courses, but it's very, very affecting. But there was no way of knowing when they started that they would have this incredible story. Mm -hmm. They're just following two kids. So it's unusual in that he got lucky. But I think a lot of people who make these great documentaries do get lucky. And that's what makes them great documentaries instead of, you know, kind of a run of the mill thing.
4: What do you think, Laura? Do you think that uh, Payne should hang it up like Beverly Sills and retire from podcasting and not do a season two? Or do you think he should go ahead and throw the dart at the board again? I think he can throw the dart again. But
1: I think his odds of having another case that he's doing a documentary podcast about get solved like this is uh, pretty slim. But I still like listening to him. And, you know, maybe in season two, he'll expose what's really in the cowboy cookies um, that (laughs) grandma bakes. So, you know,
4: there's always hope. All right, there is always hope. Now, I want to uh, switch gears and talk about yet another, Kevin, do you want to say this for us? True Crime True Podcast, podcast. F***ing
3: Update!
4: <laughs> <laughs> but now, do I bleep it before I add the echo or do I bleep it after I add the echo?
3: Dealer's choice.
4: Very, very complicated. Well, I do want to catch us up on a podcast I know we've all been listening to, Missing Richard Simmons, the most popular podcast in America. Today, it was talked about on the Today Show, uh, the day that we're recording this episode. It's been making a lot of media noise. I think the media is really excited to have a a podcast to talk about. They really haven't had one since Serial Season 1, I think. It's just making a lot of waves. It's making a lot of news. And, of course, a brand new episode dropped this week. Now, we did actually get some news news this week when yesterday, that is Tuesday, we're taping this on Wednesday evening, Tom Esty, a spokesperson for Richard Simmons, explained to E! News that, in fact... All is well at the Simmons household, despite everything that's coming out in the podcast. Tom says, Teresa is not keeping Richard Simmons hostage. She's been working with him for 27 years. So she's his housekeeper. She's his caretaker. And he said basically that uh, Teresa holding him hostage is the biggest, I mean, dot, dot, dot.
3: I don't believe him.
4: I believe he said complete load of crap was part (laughs) of the, the, the quote that he gave. So, Laura, you've been following the news around missing Richard Simmons. And we've been hearing Dan try to get to Richard through one of his spokespeople on the podcast. It's not clear to me whether it's the same person or not that was quoted in this interview. But what do you think about this news that this publicist has come out and said, you know, He's choosing this and everything that's in the podcast is crap. What do you think? I think that this publicist is in a difficult position because
1: uh, honestly, do you really think he even knows what's going on? He may, he may not know what's going on. It's one of those like put out the fires type thing where he's just, you know, he's got to respond. He's got to say something at this point because this is generating a huge amount of buzz. My favorite publication, as we all know, the Daily Mail also had a story on this this week. And uh, same thing, Teresa is not holding him hostage. My new theory on Richard Simmons is I I think he just has compassion fatigue. The more I listen to this podcast, I think that this guy had just so much compassion for other people that were overweight because of where he had started that he really burned himself out for so many years to the point that he's
4: I think he's just completely exhausted. Hmm. But, you know, we shall see, I guess. I actually my my concerns are growing that it might have I don't want to speculate too much, but, you know, I think I talked about this last week. I have concerns that it might be an addiction issue. I really do.
1: And uh, there's
3: nothing to indicate well, that. Well, there's no,
1: nothing to not indicate. Nothing. Either. Did you not hear what? this week, Kevin, when he took all the diet pills? Right.
3: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. It wouldn't
1: be the first and, and time. And survived on
4: lettuce and water for four, two months or how whatever. Much seems... How much weight did he lose? He says in two months, like 137 pounds. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't seem healthy. I need to know exactly how that happened so I can No, I'm just kidding. I, I, know, yeah. I know that that's <laughs> not healthy. I know that's not the right way to do it. I don't want to get a bunch of emails from uh, fitness people from our our audience. I, I think that we all agree that whether or not what, you know, what's really going on is a mystery to all of us. We've obviously talked about the ethical issues around the podcast. I, I do want to just talk about this week's episode because I know there were mixed reviews on, among this mm-hmm. panel about how we feel about it. This week took us to New Orleans, and you know, it was a very interesting setting. I mean, I think so far the whole show has sort of taken place, I feel like, inside Dan Taberski's head. You know, we've heard him driving around a little bit. We've heard him calling people. But we're actually in a place. Now, Kevin, you've been to New Orleans, right? Yeah. What did you think of the setting for the podcast this week?
3: Well, I'm actually glad they went to New Orleans and didn't skip the French Quarter because yeah. that's pretty awesome. It's real. Well, I mean, I think overall, I thought this was kind of a, a very mediocre episode. Plateau I don't,
4: episode?
3: Um, well, I don't know if it's plateau. I don't think a lot was accomplished narratively. I think they got a couple of doors slammed in their face. There were a couple of interesting points, but it, it certainly wasn't as informative as or really as entertaining as the previous three episodes It doesn't mean that the podcast is is tanking, but this wasn't a great episode.
4: Now, one of the things that I really liked about the episode was I did like hearing a little bit of that transparency when he tried to talk to people. Getting the door slammed in his face and saying, I'm the guy who just made a huge mistake by knocking on your door instead of calling you. And the other highlight for me was Henry, his producer... Who apparently can't not drink the yard of beer or whatever when he's on Bourbon Street in uh, New Orleans? And um, I, I did like hearing sort of what the experience is like bringing somewhere someone well, I there think that's not, been I think there it's before. a grenade. Oh yes, it was that's, a grenade. Yeah. Of, <laughs> yes, it's not, it's not the
3: beer. You can get you can get the uh, hurricanes. Yes, and the other one I think is a I think it's, it's a called grenade. a grenade. Yeah. But then what
4: did he want to do? He wanted to go get a Jello shot shot through an injector. That was what thing he suggested next. It was very atmospheric. Um, who wants to we do a fishbowl when we went?
3: <laughs> who wants to do a crime writers on meetup in New Orleans?
4: I think that sounds pretty good. That would be an awesome <laughs> I podcast. Yeah. I think it would be epic.
3: There would be so much bleeping.
4: Toby, no, you you actually did describe this as sort of a plateauing episode, narratively speaking. What are your thoughts about episode four of Missing Richard Simmons?
2: I thought it was the weakest of the episodes. I thought some of the stuff about his childhood, like the his family's relation with food, thus his relationship with food, you know, it's kind of interesting in in setting the stage for his later life. But for the most part, like I was, I I went back and I listened to a little bit of our talk when we did it, what, two weeks ago. And I don't feel like my analysis has changed at all, Mm -hmm. Um, which is when people say, you know, this is like, it's like cereal, but better. The thing with cereal is that after every week, you had to kind of, rethink what the entirety of it was because there's new information. You're looking at it in, in a different way. This hasn't had it for me. It, it seems to be constantly kind of confirming what I felt like a few weeks ago. I, I think that's been something that I found a little frustrating with it. And like you said, you know, you, the, the things you pointed out that you liked about it really have nothing to do with the story. Right. You know, you kind of like some sort of personality aspects of the people who are involved in making it. But um, this could have been a 10-minute episode. Mm-hmm. You know they could have tacked it onto a different one.
4: I kind of feel like we got the teaser last time that we were going to meet Lenny in this episode, right, Laura?
1: Yeah. no, that was uh, honestly every other episode we've had like this great kind of cliffhanger at the end, and then the next episode delivers on that cliffhanger. And so the last time it was like, we're going to New Orleans, we're going to meet Prince Lenny, who's going to save King Richie. And then (laughs) we don't hear anything from Lenny until the end when we hear he lives in like a planned community with gazebos and slam the door on them. And so I feel like that was a little bit of a tease that didn't deliver because the rest of the episode... I didn't find a lot of anything that was for me anything super new. You know, the past three episodes, the whole time I've been listening, I've been like, "Oh, I can't stop listening." And this time, I was like,
4: "Where the hell's Lenny?" Yeah, yeah. Did anyone else feel like that? I, I felt like that, and I felt like I felt like this could have been part one of a two part thing. And I wonder how much of this is just about. Dividing up the, the story they have so they can make six. They said it was going to be six episodes, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. Because it did feel like there was some filler in here, which I actually you know I enjoyed it. Just listening experience, I actually really enjoyed hearing about Richard Simmons' parents, his mom being a fan dancer, mm-hmm. and you know, weighing like being four ten and like weighing nothing, and being and then having three refrigerators in her house and just cooking constantly. That was bizarre, huh? It's bizarre, but at the same time, this is going to sound really weird. I kind of relate it in a way because you know, I have two teenage boys and a stepdaughter who eats nothing. So no offense, Kevin, but I'm not gonna be talking about yeah. your daughter in this in this segment of the podcast. But um my kids love to eat and like they will eat anything you put in front of them Always. And I cook a lot. Like, I'm a big cook in our house. And there is something, like, really, really satisfying about feeding your kids.
3: For some people, that is, like, a, an expression of love. It is an expression of love. To feed and nourish and get the satisfaction of like this was, and, yeah.
4: like, an expression of love gone crazy. I don't know. It was a very intriguing. Well, intrig- in part,
3: too. But also, Richard said, you know, like, there are five stores between home and school. Yeah, and I'd right. stop in all of them. Right. I, so, I it just, wasn't just, like, he would sit down at dinner and got... 7,000 calories you didn't want. Right.
4: So here's the thing that I thought was the missing opportunity in this episode because if you're going to do an episode that's, you're not going to introduce Lenny. First mm-hmm. of all, I don't know if I would have teased it in the previous episode, Lenny's voice. Yeah,
3: because he didn't really deliver.
4: But, I think this episode could have done a little deeper dive into the making of Richard Simmons. Yeah. From the childhood. Like there could have been a little bit more fleshing that out. There was some.
3: Yeah, only because he did, he's he's done such an excellent job of getting so many different voices and perspectives on other parts of Richard's life. Yeah. This is like a road trip you know? episode. Yeah, there was the just meat. like it's like he got oh. to New Orleans and didn't really talk to him, anybody except for the bellhop at the Omni, where Richard always. Who, stayed. by the way,
4: said the room number? So he's burned that room number forever for Richard Simmons, right? Hey.
3: That's
4: okay. He's well, not going there again. Yeah. Two sixteen is open. <laughs> well, you know, I agree with you guys that it was not the strongest, but I also think that in storytelling, sometimes there is sort of like that plateau. Like you think about a book, sometimes there are chapters that sort of exist to sort of give you, like, what's that called in the, in, the, in the arc of a story? There's like there's like that arc of a story, right? And there's mm-hmm. like the build and then the plateau and then the-
3: The climax?
4: Yes. But I kind of feel like this was that, but that's, it's hard to do that in a podcast. I, I think you're
3: not- That think- wasn't a climax. Yeah, I, you're not thinking of narrative arc. You're thinking of the Masters and Johnson- <laughs> Stages of arousal (laughs) when you're getting to the plateau. No, there's a narrative. Is this a
1: new sponsor? (laughs) (laughs) No,
2: it's like. like it's like the middle book of a trilogy, right? When it's just like we're getting from here to there, but they suck. Well, so sometimes they don't, the...
4: though. Godfather Two was the best of the Godfathers. Mm-hmm. It
3: was supposed to be the last chapter, and then it right. be tacked I mean, it on the third. The Empire Strikes right. Back
4: was the best of the original Star Wars films.
3: Oh, Jesus. <laughs>
4: hey, I just
2: uh, <laughs> don't even
1: did. Start I miss with the that? fact that Nas was in that Rogue One movie. Did Kevin, did you mention that when we talked about that? I did. <laughs> I totally missed that. And I I'm like, did. hey, that's Nas.
2: <laughs> the other thing that stuck out to me, which I actually wrote down on a piece of paper.
4: Congratulations, by the way, for writing something down on a piece of paper. <laughs> yeah, usually
2: I just do it on like a piece of skin or something. Um, oh, wow. Not even my own sometimes. Um, <laughs> oh, ew. They do this thing where, where they like played like happy really enthusiastic Richard Simmons and then they play that sort of morose I don't really feel like doing anything Richard Simmons and it's like well how did he get from here to there that's not a mystery
4: right right
2: you know i, I may not i may not have like the exact answer but i could give you like three or four completely understandable answers Right. you know mm-hmm. i mean it, it, it just doesn't seem like it's that unusual
3: mm-hmm.
2: i mean i think you can you know you can point to a lot of people who have similar things, who have this time when they get fame and adulation and all that, and then it either goes away and they become depressed and they withdraw. I thought that was weird. Yeah. Like, I thought that was trying to make a point that wasn't necessarily valid and didn't need to be kind of pushed.
4: Right, right. Well, one thing that came out in this episode, Kevin, was similar to something that you talked about when we talked about missing Richard Simmons at the start was that Dan bent over backwards drawing these allusions between Richard Simmons and a religious figure. Yeah. And you described Richard as Elvis meets Jesus. I did. And I was,
3: <laughs> and I, I was actually kind of glad that th- there was this, um, that part of this episode came out, 1995, mm-hmm. Some appearance at a mall in Massachusetts, and the it's gotta way be the
4: Burlington Mall, right? It's gotta could, be.
3: It could be, but the way he just and this was around the time that this event that I, I was part of happened in New Hampshire, and yeah, that's how the crowds were. And to me, it was like, oh yeah, I can definitely relate, and I feel I feel like I'm, uh, I got backed up on that because unless you've been there, it's hard to imagine that like. Richard Simmons, you know, it's this guy has right. this kind of following, and but he he does, right? And also the part about being a preacher and that he'd gone to seminary school. Now, if you're Catholic, that you, most Catholics I know are, are not like what you'd term as charismatic Christians, where there's a lot of uh, energy and you know, they, we give homilies, not sermons. You right. know, it's 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 a little more uh, laid back. But to hear him. Preaching and taking people to church. Um,
4: televangelizing.
3: Televangelizing, <laughs> uh, which is, is, you know. In front of Congress. Yeah. My Aunt Helene would, have not, said, would not have liked that, that at Blessed Sacrament. However, he really did uh, <laughs> tap into a very kind of religious thing, and it's like we're going to change your life here.
4: So, Toby, I'm going to start with you on uh, my final question this week about missing Richard Simmons. You still in or are you out after this week? What do you think?
2: I'm totally on the fence. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, I'll, I'll probably listen to it just because I think we'll probably talk about it again. Oh,
4: yeah, we will. You, you have to listen but to it. If,
2: <laughs> but if, you know, if I didn't know that we were going to talk about it, it would kind of depend. It wouldn't be at the top of my list. All
4: right. Laura, are you still in with Missing Richard Simmons or not? We are all in in
1: my household, my husband, <laughs> my son. It's it's hysterical. You know, I, I have to tell you, ironically, I listened to this at the gym this morning. Nice. But no, I'm I'm all in.
3: Are you weeping? <laughs>
1: No, no. I well, I was a little bit because I had to start working out again, and that was sort of sad, right? <laughs> what about you, yeah. Kevin? Are you still in?
3: Yeah, I mean, there, there are only two more episodes, and I think it's it's been really good. I would like to see where it goes. I don't think it's going to have an up and vanished ending, where you know, at the last episode, right. uh, Richard we, Simmons is jumping. Can we pause for a second? Did yeah. Up
4: and Vanished have an up and vanished ending, or did something happen in the case that Up and Vanished was about?
3: I don't know. I stopped listening to Up and Vanished like months ago. So
4: (laughs) I I don't think you should call it the Up and Vanished ending. Okay. Fair
3: enough. (laughs) Fair enough. I'm not trying to pick on Up and Vanished. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still in. All
4: right, I'm still in as well. Um, one thing I want to mention uh, as far as true crime podcast updates go, I did not get any hate mail this week for last week sort of rolling my eyes over yet another filing in the Anand Syed case. However, I do want to point out to our listeners, Kevin Flynn, my wonderful husband, one of his primary sources when we talk about the Anand Syed case in this podcast is the really, really excellent and detailed blog of our friend Legal Siri, Colin Miller. Mm-hmm. And he does have a really, really great post up that he posted this week called Why the Laws All on the Defense Side in the Adnan Syed Case. Yes, I know it sounds like a one-sided uh, blog post, but it actually is like, there's a lot of meat there, a lot of uh, yeah. cases cited. And I just want to point that to our listeners, we will link to it from our website. CrimeWritersOn.com. So, Kevin, wouldn't you agree that our listeners, if they want to hear about the Anansiad case on a regular basis, should be checking out Colin's blog?
3: Yes. Yeah, I do want to point out one thing that I I neglected to mention last week that Colin brought up, and it's about the third argument in this appeal, which is that Gutierrez wasn't prepared for trial ineffective assistance of counsel the state argued that she was prepared now i'm gonna and that go this
4: was strategy this was
3: strategy now laura i'm gonna ask you see if you remember this why was it non-sayed's first trial why did it end in a mistrial
4: oh dear god
1: i
3: don't even remember <laughs> toby do you remember uh i don't, okay.
4: <laughs> I, don't remember. I, I remember it was because the judge called her a liar
3: Remember? Do you remember that a juror overheard a bench conference and and said that he heard the judge call Gutierrez a liar? Oh, You remember yes. that? Okay, it's yeah, coming back. Yeah, baby. okay. Do you know what the lie was?
4: No, clearly we don't. Why don't you just tell us, Kevin?
2: <laughs> I don't remember her calling him a liar, but I do remember the lie. You remember the lie?
1: A lie, Toby?
3: I, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The apparent lie was the judge didn't believe Gutierrez when she said in the first trial she had not looked at the cell records. (laughs) So it is on the record in a transcript that she was not prepared – or looked at that information in trial one. Yeah. I mean, that's like, whoa. Now, right. should she have, like, after this being the focus of trial one, that she Continued should have, Continue
4: to like, not look at it?
3: Well, yeah, kind of got her shit together for trial two, perhaps. But, I mean, I thought that was a really interesting take. But your original question, should people go and read the Evidence Prof blog? A.K.A. Legal series blog. AKA, well, I'm reluctantly saying yes, only because it would be way better if you could just listen to it on Audible.
4: Oh, wow. That would be
3: the even better way
4: nice. of
3: absorbing hear that, the legal genius of <laughs> Colin Miller. With Audible, you can get audio books and listen to those books that you've been meaning to read while on the go. Because with Audible, you own the books. And you can access those books anytime and anywhere right from your smartphone. You
4: can. I just finished a book this week and I loved it.
3: What book did you just listen to? The Crow
4: Trap by Ann Cleaves. And now I've just started The Dry, which is the book that Toby recommended last time we did an Audible ad. Nice. Yes.
3: Anybody got a book that they want to recommend people listen to? Yes.
4: Okay, we just continue with the ad. Just, I just go. skip over
3: Toby. <laughs> no, I,
2: um, I actually I haven't started listening to this, but it was recommended to me, and it's called *Sapiens: A Brief History of Mankind* by Yuval Noah Harari. Hmm. But it's supposed to be really very interesting.
3: Well, if you want that book, or about of a billion others you, can, trap. you can go to audible <laughs> remember their app is free it works on iphones ipads about 500 mp3 players
4: there aren't 500 mp3 there players. are including kindle
3: <laughs> fire and audible ha- one. <laughs> has the great listen guarantee look it's a new year chores can seem endless why not polish your car while you shine up your life <laughs> with <laughs> What?
4: You didn't write that. Did no. you
3: write that?
2: No, I had to read it on the paper. <laughs> oh, you know what else is available on Audible? What? Big Little Lies. Oh.
1: oh. I, I have been holding back, people. The other day, I hovered. I hovered over the purchase button. I was like, no, don't do it. and I was like, okay, this is so hard for me and my impulse control, but I resisted. Buying the Big Little Lies I'm by wait. Leanne Moriarty. The other book that she's done, was it The Husband's Secret or something? I've had a lot of people recommend that book to me.
3: Well, you can't make more time, but you can make the most out of it. So while you're doing your workouts, your travels, your walks through the woods with the dogs, turn it into something more. With a free trial at Audible, go to audible.com slash crime. Get a special offer, audible.com slash Crime. Ignore
4: your family more efficiently by wearing headphones around the house. Because you can't stop listening to Audible. That's that's the tagline I'm going to use. I All love right. it. I love it. I love me some Audible.
3: Now, Rebecca, you're a mom. I hear that I am. And moms wear lots of hats. They're decision makers, financiers, managers, and master multitaskers. Also, these days, phones function as more than phones. They're means of staying connected to family, friends, and coworkers. They're an important part of our daily lives. That's why you need a provider who can keep up with you. You need Total Wireless. With nationwide coverage, on america's largest and most dependable networks it's truly a lifeline plus it's affordable unlimited talk and text with five gigabytes of 4g lte plus data starts at just 35 dollars a month and family plans start at 25 dollars per month for unlimited talk and text You can even add three gigabytes of shared carryover data that doesn't expire for just $10. And there are tons of smartphones to choose from, or if you like the phone that you already have and you're happy with it, just keep it, keep your own number, and get a no-worry 30-day plan. It's that simple. Learn more about the great plans and phone selections at TotalWireless.com. That's TotalWireless.com.
4: All right. Well, I want to move on to the criticism and commentary part of our episode. Uh, This week, we're going to be talking about a documentary that has been getting a lot of attention on social media. I've heard a lot about it on other podcasts. I've seen a lot of blogs about it, articles online. This documentary is airing on Spike. It's a six-episode TV series called Time, the Khalif Browder story. It's also available, by the way. Apparently, we could have watched all six episodes online. Uh, But I believe we've all just watched the beginning of the series because that was available as of the time of this taping. So, this documentary recounts the story of Khalif Browder. He was a Bronx High School student who was imprisoned for three years two of them in solitary confinement on Rikers Island without being convicted of any crime. He was accused at the age of 16 of stealing a backpack, and his family wasn't able to afford his bail, which was set at $3,000. Now, one of the things that we know about Khalif Browder, if we've been paying attention to the news at all, but which Kevin didn't know, uh, was Spoilers. that...
3: Spoilers! Kalief Browder... Wait, Spoiler!
4: I don't think it's really, I think it was a spoiler to you. Okay. Um, Sadly, Khalif Browder committed suicide two years after his release in 2015. So the documentary takes a look at the Khalif Browder story and really uses footage of him because he did do a lot of media appearances after getting out of Rikers Island where he was making a lot of talk show appearances and news appearances and he was interviewed a lot about his experience. In Rikers Island. And then we also get get this sort of intercut interviews with his family. He's a very complicated family system, which we'll get into the reasons for that uh, in a couple of minutes. But Laura, I want to start with you because you told me that you found this documentary. The case got you fired up, but you found the way the story was put together difficult to follow. I kind of want to hear your thoughts about that. You know obviously this is something that is one of the
1: type of issues you know as a former defense investigator i get very fired up about because these are the types of cases that when you were working on a defense case that you would be like this is bull this person should not be in jail and i've got to do something about this but when i started watching you know this documentary i felt like there was a lot of artsy sort of interpretive kind of stuff going on but we were hopping around from one thing to another with like clips of videos and music and people talking. And for me, I just I found like I was getting like dizzy trying to follow where this was going because I felt like the narrative wasn't really as clear cut and easy to follow as it might have been. And, you know, spoiler, I, I did look this up because I was like, is anyone else upset about this? It sounds like as this gets going, things start to kind of even out a little bit. But the first episode I just found very disjointed. I couldn't really figure out where I was supposed to be focusing because it didn't stick with one point. It seemed like kind of an overview, like we were kind of like throwing everything out at the wall that's going to be happening. But mm-hmm. it wasn't tied
4: together maybe as cohesively as I would have liked to say. You know, one of the things I think that is an issue with the first episode, and I, I do think I know this I know this was played at Sundance and it was played sort of in its entirety there. I do think one of the issues is that they do sort of hold back sort of what happened to Khalif Browder ultimately. So we see this footage of him and as if you were Kevin, you were a little bit confused about why everybody was talking about him in the in the past tense and you know, maybe a better approach would have been sort of tell the whole story and then sort of dissect it. I don't know. What do you think, (laughs) Kevin? I'd love to hear your thoughts because I watched it with you, but um, we didn't talk about it at all.
3: Yeah, I mean, I guess I can't fault the documentarians for holding that back. That's an important part of the story from a narrative perspective. Do you hold that back or do you make that because that's powerful or do you bring it out up front because some people will already know? So you spoiled it for me. But I'm uh, sorry. I didn't well, that's I, okay. I assumed no, you knew. But a lot of I mean a lot of people know, so it isn't, you know, it isn't like, look it isn't like Agatha Christie. If you know. If you look in yeah, the
4: Comcast yeah. guide. It's like in the description of the show. So.
3: <laughs> sorry. But, I, but I, you know, I I'm with Laura. I think it started slow for me and started to gain momentum. I'm sort of glad that in in the beginning and they might have done this just a little tighter but sort of explained the setup of the crime and and why he was the um, non-crime Well, yeah, the accusation and why he was held and and, and how he got into solitary confinement, just so we have some idea of where we were going. I think we ultimately got there, and it's starting to deliver. It's an interesting cast of commentators. Mm -hmm. I understand that Jay-Z is a producer. I don't really know what he brings to the Q&A Yes. I mean, he had a great quote about, you know, our prophets and who is our prophet. And you never know who the next prophet's going to be. But, but
4: that's why he produced the series. Does he need to say that in the series?
3: Yeah, you know, but looking
4: sharp. He was looking
1: he sharp. He's looking
3: very sharp. <laughs> yeah, but
4: some of the Flexing. other commentators are so
1: strong. Is it Van Jones? Oh my god, I love Van Jones yeah. almost as much as I love Justin Trudeau.
4: Really? Tell yeah. us about that. Tell us about, <laughs> tell us about your love for Van Jones, Laura. Who is Van Jones, well, and why do you love Van Jones? Can he I plank? just have to. Well, he's like a, I think he's usually on CNN, but I just
1: like Van Jones because he always, to me, is sort of like this voice of compassionate reason, mm-hmm. and that's you know, if you see him, you're like yeah I I agree with him and he gets it and he's got compassion but he also really understood the system um, Uh and that was sort of what he was talking about in that first episode was what's going to happen when you're going into a deposition and you know this is going to suck and this is what's going to happen but I just feel like he's always sort of somebody
4: that when you hear him talk it's credible to me anyway Right, Toby um, what did you think of the setup for this story as it was laid out in the first episode and you know let's just moving on a little bit what do you think were some of the most powerful takeaways uh, of the beginning of this series, uh, Time, the Cleve Bratter story?
2: I thought they did a very effective job of two things. One, I guess the disadvantages that his family was at, both in terms of s- sort of access to him and information and also money mm-hmm. and how that kind of worked against their being able to. You know, help him or advise him on on certain things. Like it seems like Khalif was was kind of on his own through no fault of theirs, but that was the way it ended up being. And then I think they did a pretty good job of giving you a sense of real sort of horror and dread, I guess, about about Rikers. Right. They show the the violence that's there and the bleakness of of the setting. You know, after seeing the night of. I mean, that, that really seems like a pretty kind of watered-down version. Right. Like, it, it didn't seem like there was going to be any smart philosophical guy who was going to take Khalif under his arm and because he, you know, thinks he's not like the other guys right. or something. Have you, you, know? you read
3: Call of the Wild? Right, right. Yeah,
2: exactly. So I thought they set up the situation... Fairly effectively. I'm not sure whether they did it in the most efficient or Mm -hmm. sort of logical possible way. But when the episode was over, it was just like, man, that's a really difficult situation in a lot of ways and for a lot of reasons.
4: Well, let's just talk about I mean, I'm I'm just going to lay out what they covered. They covered the fact that in New York, when you're 16 and 17, you're prosecuted as an adult, no matter what. They talked about how public defenders are so overworked that they are incentivized to clear cases, which means a lot of young people take probation, which means now you have a record. Probation seems like, okay, it's over, but it's not actually over because then when you're arrested, it's considered violating probation, even though your arrest might be for something you didn't actually do, which is insane. But then they also talked about the effect the war on drugs has had, on all of these young people and these families and foster families, you know, Khalif Browder's mother says she's had thirty-one foster children. She ended up with Khalif and all of his siblings because his mother was an addict, and the way that the New York system works is that if an addict has a baby who's taken away, then every other baby that she has is given, if possible, to the family that has also taken in the siblings. So. You know this
3: isn't that the best way you could possibly do it given the circumstances. But if you
4: but if you you think about what that means, is that now you have a woman who's already sort of stretched. Who, by the way, Khalif Browder's mother comes off like incredibly sympathetically Mm -hmm. in this episode. Like, I really, really, I mean, talk about people like you know. I'm not a particularly religious person. We talk about like angels on earth, right? You talk about somebody who has like opened up their life and their home and they all like speak of her, obviously. All the kids talk about her, you know, uh, really highly, obviously, she's really stretched to the max. But imagine like You're now in a situation where it's like, you know, okay, there's another baby and another baby and another baby. And it's really overwhelming. And I I really get the sense of just like the whole system being so overwhelmed. There was so much stuff there just about just... The reasons why, you know, it's so easy for I think people to say, "You're not going to get arrested if you didn't do anything wrong." Well, okay, we know that's not true because we also learned about stop and frisk in this episode. If you live in certain parts of certain cities, you can get arrested for no reason, and it's legal. If you're in a so-called high crime area, you can get stopped, you can get frisked, and you can get arrested for no reason. And if you happen to have probation, that means you violated. It. It's like it's like a whole, you know, confluence of crap. And then, of course, we see the whole flash forward of the lawsuit, which I think was the confusing part because then they were talking about the deposition, sort of rolled in, and how Khalif's life circumstance was sort of used against him in his deposition. Ultimately,
3: so I thought that was a good way of bringing in his his past and setting up that part of of the story instead of just. He was born here. You it know, was. He, he was able to you know, it was. talk about it and they interspersed right. the interviews. But
4: the real meat and the real reason that Khalif Browder was at Rikers Island for three years was bail. Uh, this is a big issue, and it's one that, Laura, we've talked about a lot in the in the state of New Hampshire, um, the, the state of indigent defendants. Uh, what do you think about when you see these stories about bail keeping people in jail who don't necessarily belong there, or maybe who do but have a right to get out? It's just bullshit.
1: I mean we've we've had stories about this in New Hampshire where we're calling it you know and it has been compared to like modern day debtors prisons and it's just really putting People that don't have money at a, such a disadvantage. And, you know, they set the bail at like $500. Well, these people don't have $500. So they're sitting in jail, waiting and waiting and waiting for their case to get there to, you know, ultimately either whatever the resolution is. And it's just so sad. I mean, I just, you know, watching this and seeing that this poor kid sat in Rikers for that long. Because, you know, his bail was, what, 1500 but it would have been 800 cash that he had to put up, and then they finally got it from the neighbor, and then they couldn't get him out because of the damn probation, because that disqualified him from getting bail. This case is a case that is showing that there is a need for reform in the criminal justice
4: system, but it's just
1: really disheartening to see when you see things like this.
4: So, Toby, one of the things that we know we're going to be hearing a lot about is uh, the fact that Khalif Browder was in solitary confinement, something that they very openly called torture in the documentary. What do you think about that?
2: What we know now about the effects of even relatively short periods of time in solitary can induce psychosis. So putting a 16-year-old in for two years... I think you could make the case that it's unconstitutional. That's cruel and unusual punishment. I'm sure if you're running a jail, like having solitary in order to segregate certain people is probably extremely valuable. But the idea of putting somebody in there and keeping them in there, it's sort of unconscionable.
3: I just hope that this documentary says something more than just solitary confinement's bad. That it goes beyond just Making a statement that, oh, well, yeah, those 800 days, to give, as Toby's talking, sort of the broader context of right, that. Right. I used to think that solitary confinement, because I'd never been to jail, but it was like, that's just a cell for one person. But the idea <laughs> that, you know, there's all this sensory deprivation and that right. sometimes no blanket and, you know, you, um, you deny human contact. Yeah. That's
2: horrible. Yeah.
3: I mean, that that's... A bit. Now, look, if you're in prison and you're talking about, like, managing a population like that, I understand that there may be a need for some form of punishment besides the fact that you're in prison. So I know that prisoners... Well,
4: first of all, it's jail, jail, not prison.
3: Well, jail, but also in prison. Right. You know, if you think about, let's go fictional. If you think about Orange is the New Black, which is the fun jail to go to, the fun federal <laughs> prison, it's all, you the know. The fun, sexy jail. Yeah, that's right. Crazy <laughs> eyes isn't really crazy. Uh, no, don't send me to the hole or to the to solitaire, whatever. The shoe. The shoe. Don't send me there. There's got to be some sort of stick to keep the rest of the population in order. However, to say that he was there for a thousand days and 800 was in solitary. He's
1: 16 years old. Yeah. That's yeah, the same what, way as what your what daughter is, six, is. What is a sixteen-year-old doing at Rikers? Right, like, is there no other option? Right. No. seriously, for right. juveniles? No, but
3: you, you draw the line at some number age,
1: some
4: arbitrary
3: number. Whether it's eighteen, but that, that, or that's 14 That's based on
1: policy that yeah.
5: isn't
4: based on anything other than some. Excuse my like politicizing this, like middle-aged white guys' political talking point idea <laughs> of what will make voters feel whatever they need to feel to push a lever. Like it is ridiculous. I mean, one of the things that I that I think about this is like what's difficult for me talking about documentaries like this is we. Really, I feel in some ways like have no right to talk about this at all because we live in a place and in a world and we live lives where like if one of our kids was actually committed a crime, let's not even say accused of a crime, one of our kids actually committed a crime, these sets of circumstances are not set in place where we are and with who we are for all of this to happen. And, like, our kids have just as much value as Khalif Browder has. I mean, there's no real difference between, you know, the value of a 16-year-old across geography, across culture, across socioeconomic lines. And It just feels, like, incredibly overwhelming when you watch something like this and you think, like, what can you actually do, right? I think they just feel helpless. Yeah. It's a
2: downer. Well, it's, you know, <laughs> Black, Black Lives Matter, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's... It is a different. You're facing a different justice system,
3: right? Right. I always just thought I'm. You know, I'm. I'm not the uh, the guy who's going to be able to rewrite all the the criminal codes. But it seemed like there ought to be an intermediate place between juvenile and adult, where you know you have a juvenile's 14 years old and kills somebody, but they're going to get out when they're 18, and that seems too lenient. And you've got somebody who's Maybe seventeen and try it as an adult, and or in this case sixteen, and gets you know thrown in with all the adults. It seems like there ought to be a place for a certain kind of crime at a certain kind of age, where. You're not going to get a life sentence when you're 14 years old. But on old, what planet should you be go, incarcerated you at should, all
4: for stealing a backpack, allegedly? Even if You know what I mean? And what planet would anybody... Well, if anybody, you're convicted
3: of theft, you do the crime. But he wasn't
4: convicted. But, <clears throat> he, yeah. No, he was,
3: but he was held, and the problem was the that bail. he was not given... The no, whole he wasn't going to get... He did not get a speedy trial. That's what it comes down to. He can be detained for a reasonable shouldn't amount of time. He should have been arrested. That, that's what it well, comes down Rebecca, to. Well, <laughs> Rebecca... Right. He shouldn't, have been, he shouldn't have been arrested. See why but the it's so overwhelming? Is, but the system is such that someone's going to get arrested for a crime.
4: Uh-huh. And
3: maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't do it. That's why we have the courts.
4: Uh, yeah, you can say he was get wrong. To the but, but why the did he get arrested? The system wasn't
3: wrong for arresting yes, him. Yes,
4: they were. Well, he was arrested because of stop and frisk, and that is not okay.
3: No, he was arrested because a guy in the back pointed him out and said, That's the guy that stole my backpack. A guy or in the or back maybe he pointed did. him out
4: and yeah, said it he was, didn't. It then was then a. <laughs>
3: The excuse, Ugh, but of course, so why, why would they just uh, well, we're not going to arrest people because why? God. People still commit crimes. They still need to be arrested. They still need to go to court. They uh, need to. They need to, but they need and deserve a speedy trial. Uh-huh. They have the constitutional right to a speedy trial uh-huh. and you shouldn't be in jail for three to five years or something waiting for a court date. Oh
4: God, it's so overwhelming. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be a downer. I just find this incredibly overwhelming. Am I alone?
1: No, I, I'm fired up, and that's why I, it just, it's just one of those shows I don't know if I can watch
4: much more because I'm just going to get so upset about it. What about you, Toby? I, are, are you out because this is so overwhelming, or are you going to continue to watch? Or would you recommend that our, our listeners watch Time, the Caliph, Browderster? I'm curious to know your thoughts.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think I'll continue watching it. I mean, I, I, I've read about the story. I mean, I think that the thing that people should know, I kind of felt like this was in some ways the most upsetting thing that we've talked about.
4: Agreed. And by the way, you suggested it. So thanks a lot, Toby.
2: Yeah. No, <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's really, it's difficult, you know, and I, and, I, and that's not necessarily a bad thing.
4: No, it's not a bad thing. We but, should but be but made to watch these difficult things. They're important.
2: If you're going to watch it, just be forewarned. It is more difficult than other stuff like Big Little Lies. hmm you know, I mean it's, it's it's just it's a whole different world.
4: It for me was a difficult experience. It doesn't mean that I don't think our listeners should watch it. I think that everybody should watch this or something like it. But this is a good example of it brings together all all of the themes that we've talked about in a lot of other cases. It brings together unfair arrests. It brings together the difference between having money and not having money in the criminal justice system. It includes the solitary confinement piece. It includes the bail stuff. It includes broken laws that like penalize people for living in a certain place, which I think we all you know, know from lots of reporting and lots of data that Stop and Frisk is one of those laws. I mean, it brings together a lot of stuff in one story and it's difficult. And yes, Jay-Z's in it and that's a little bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> so Kevin, uh, do you think our listeners uh, should watch Time, the Khalif Brother story?
3: I, I don't know I, I because I've only seen one out of the five episodes. I'm really interested in episode two, which is predominantly about Rikers. I think yeah. that would be really fascinating. So I'm I'm an I don't know. I, I guess um, this is, you know, the odds makers would call this a pick 'em.
4: Mm, not because it's not good, but because it's hard. Yeah. Which, by the way, I,
3: well, I've, we're I've a wimps. <laughs> I, well, I've only, like I said, I've, I, I don't think I've had a large enough sample size to be able to make a recommendation. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting story, and I have some pacing issues. But I'm really interested in the Rikers thing, and it, it has a lot of potential to redeem itself. But I just, I wouldn't want someone to say I'm setting aside five hours because Flynn said so.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Laura, did you have final <laughs> thoughts? You know,
1: I'll maybe watch one more. But like I said, it's just um, this is a hard topic. I mean, it's something that I don't feel like I need to be super beat over the head about because it's something that was always on my radar screen when I was working in defense. But I think it's good that we're getting the the story out there to other people that maybe don't know as much about what's going on.
4: All right. Well, we're going to move on to slightly lighter fare in my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the the week. week. Going to try to all say it this time because that was an epic fail last time. <laughs> now, I do want to give credit. This week's crime of the week is 100% the result of Laura Bricker's dogged <laughs> Googling research. <laughs> so you get 100% credit for this one, Laura. Thank you. I need to get off the social media, I guess. <laughs> A local Iowa newspaper is demanding the resignation of State Senator Mark Shelgren, declaring that Shelgren's, quote, integrity is gone. Mm. And that he has turned his hometown into a, quote, national punchline.
3: Mm, punchline, yeah.
4: Quote, Shelgren sells himself as a true believer. True believer. The Atumwa Courier wrote, Quote, But he's not. He's not. He's a sham. A sham. An attention-seeking braggart.
5: A braggart.
4: (laughs) So what, pray tell, did this lawmaker do to ruffle the feathers of the paper's editorial board? Pray tell. As it turns out, it's more about what he didn't do which was to attend a legitimate institution of higher learning or to tell the truth about where he really got his, quote, degree. He's a liar! This is funny. It's a call and response crime of the week. You see, Senator Shelgren had claimed his own experience with quote liberal professors at the Fobco Management School was the basis for a higher ed bill he wrote, which created a political litmus test for the hiring of professors at Iowa State Universities. That
3: Fobco Management the, School.
4: The problem is that Fobco Management School isn't really a school. It is a company that operates a Sizzler Steakhouse franchise (laughs) in Southern California. Oh,
3: where's the beef?
4: (laughs) This pretty much is guaranteed that Senator Shelgren's new nickname, the Sizzler U Lawmaker, will stick to the rest (laughs) of his public service. He's
3: all sizzle and no steak.
4: I loved this story so much. I just couldn't (laughs) help but It's got all the things that I love. People who get elected for maybe no reason and have ideals that are grounded in nothing thing and fraud. But it got me thinking, you know, he was citing his experience at Sizzler U for the reasons uh, that he really backed this bill. You know, he's really like like pointing to Sizzler U as, as to the reasons why he is who he is. So I'm wondering, panel, um, if you were to make up a fake institution of higher learning that defined you or your skill set or your beliefs What would that institution of higher learning be called? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. I took a little poll
1: at dinner tonight, and this is what my family told me, um, summarized me. The CCU.
4: Uh, That would be the Chardonnay Cat University. (laughs) 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 Sounds pretty accurate. Yeah. Magna cum laude from CCU. What about you, Toby Ball?
2: First of all, do you think Sizzler is really like a haven for liberals <laughs> <laughs> no you mean the fabco
4: management school
2: <laughs> oh, did anybody follow up on that was he just like in addition to bullshitting about where he went also bullshitting about the professors he had the, the actually i don't think he professors. probably had professors <laughs> <He's> professor. <laughs> i think it's management trainers
3: shift supervisors
2: yeah i think the closest my closest experience to sizzler you was probably uh my undergraduate days at Ames. <laughs>
4: <laughs> at the
1: hardware store?
2: No, it wasn't a hardware oh, store. It was the big store. box you store.
1: Mean Ames's? <laughs> in Ames. New England, we call it Ames's.
2: <laughs> Ames's? Yeah, that's I, what we uh, call it
4: here in New England.
2: Yeah. So I, you know, I, I probably deserve to get like a JD (laughs) from
4: Ames. (laughs) You know, I was just telling Kevin earlier this week that, you know, we have kids who are sort of pre-college age and it's March Madness time and I sort of think like What if we only looked at schools based on their eligibility for the Sweet 16? Like, (laughs) Henry, you can only apply to Ball State and Gonzaga.
2: (laughs) Ball State is not making the Sweet 16. Uh, But, you
4: know, you only know about Ball State because of basketball. Admit it, Toby Ball. It's the only reason you know about that school.
2: Ball State in Muncie, Indiana.
4: <laughs> well, uh, you are Toby Ball, so. Also- <laughs>
2: yes, it, it, and I'm unfortunately not related to the ball jar balls. Uh,
3: I only know about Wake Forest because of football.
2: So
4: yeah. <laughs> well, for me, um, I have to say, it was not a difficult time for me to come up with a fake university name. I think everyone who knows me even a little bit would agree that I graduated magna cum laude from ADHDU. <laughs> uh, what about you, Kevin?
3: Uh, I would say that uh, I went to uh Recline A Technical Institute, <laughs> where I got a PhD in Media Studies <laughs> on the Recline A. <laughs>
4: Couch Potato
1: stuff? Yeah,
3: exactly. Yes.
1: <laughs> well, uh, I went to a movie theater last week that actually had really nice recliners. Yeah, we go to one yes. all the time. It's the only movie theater we wow. go to. They the have reserved seating. The hooks at eight is the only one we go to. Wow. Oh my you goodness. You get oh, beers. Yeah. yeah. That, that was this one, but my god, I got wine and it was like twelve dollars for this little tiny glass of wine. I'm like, this is bullshit. Bring yeah,
2: your you own. Get, you don't get cheap ones. You gotta you gotta sneak them in if you want cheap ones.
4: Fun fact. I guess so during a uh, Star Wars
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: Rogue Which One. Time? Kevin had a kielbasa delivered to his seat at the... Uh, <laughs>
3: <Jesus>. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. First of all, it was a bratwurst. <laughs> uh, well, that's... Yeah.
4: That that makes it so much better.
3: Kielbasa,
2: I couldn't picture, but a bratwurst is totally fine. Because
3: <laughs> they ran out of hot dogs. If hot dogs, we'll have a bratwurst, and it's fine. It'll take a while to make, so we'll bring it to you. Because it was a reserved city, and they knew where I was. They didn't
5: know where you were. So wow. I, just,
3: I just did it because I thought... Rebecca is going to lose her mind when somebody (laughs) just shows up and hands me a bratwurst in the middle of this movie.
4: And now tens of thousands of people know.
3: It was worth it. What I lived through. The look on your face.
4: Hooks at eight, man. The only place (laughs) I'll ever see a movie again. We We
2: live in a great country. (laughs) We really,
4: really do. Stop and frisk and recliners at movie theaters. Uh, Suck it, New Zealand. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We should probably end it on that note. Before we do, Laura Bricker, you have one last duty to perform. Do we have a cat of the week this week? (coughs) Um, Yes. Nathan sends
1: in a lovely picture of Perry and it says, knock, knock. We got a special delivery for Lara. Return address just says cat of the week. (laughs) (laughs) Perry loves boxes, long walks on the beach, and evidently trips to outer space. Here is a shirt documenting his brief stint with NASA. Nice. So we've got Perry in a little box, and he's got his little Astro cat shirt on. What is the matter with you freaking cat people?
3: they <laughs> <laughs> are trying really hard.
1: I, it's, I'm amazed. I have to tell you, people are really putting a lot of effort into these um, pictures that they send me.
4: Yeah, I know. It's, it's really pretty insane. It is pretty insane. <laughs> we should get a P.O. box. People can send things to try to lobby for their cats for Cat of the Week. No turds, though, please. <laughs> Laura Bricker, if our listeners want to reach you on Twitter and perhaps lobby for their cat to be Cat of the Week next week, how can they reach you? At Lara Bricker. And Toby Ball, if our listeners wanna tweet to you about, I don't know, the fact that they're Ball State alumni, maybe send you one of those Ball State t-shirts, how can they reach you?
2: At Toby Ball N H.
4: And Kevin Flynn, a fellow alumna of Recline A University, would like to tweet to you. How can they reach you on Twitter?
3: I'm at (laughs) (laughs) sizzleru.
4: And if you want to send me a tweet or follow me on Instagram, you can find me at Reb Our show is also on Twitter at CrimeWritersOn. And you can always send us an email or voice memo at CrimeWritersOn at gmail.com. Don't forget to head over to our website where you can sign up for our awesome, very occasionally emailed these days newsletter. promise to get back on that. And you can buy stuff using our Amazon link. Who knows? Toby may read your item in next week's podcast. Before you close your podcast app, please leave us a review on iTunes. It makes a big difference. And check out These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast. Our theme music was performed by the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble and used with their permission. Our handsome line producer is Henry Lavoy. This show is recorded in Square Egg Studio in Partners in Crime Media, a.k.a. the closet in our basement behind those boxes of clothes that don't fit me anymore. That formerly was known as Studio C. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later.
3: All right, we can hear ourselves echoing back through your system. It's like a two-second delay. So there's something going on with one of your settings. Oh, by the way, just do me a favor. Just tap your finger on the microphone. Okay, we're not getting you through your microphone. We're getting you through your um, computer.
2: Oh, you know why? Why? You know why that is?
3: No, we don't, no we don't live there.
2: Plug in my microphone. Is this better? It's
4: perfect. Do you sound? Do you hear okay?
2: okay? Can my what?
4: Can you hear us okay without what? an uh, echo? What? Can you hear us okay without an echo? I'm just
2: busting on you. <laughs> oh, uh. <damn. laughs>
3: In media. Moms wear lots of hats, with phones keeping them connected to everyone. Whether communicating with teachers, family members, or co-workers, moms can always be counted on to be a step ahead. Likewise, you need a provider that you can rely on, Total Wireless. With nationwide coverage on America's largest and most dependable networks, unlimited talk and text starting at just $35 a month, and family plans starting at $25 a month, Total Wireless offers first-class, affordable service. Go to TotalWireless.com to learn more.
1: Learn more! Learn more. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends.